0: Hey,
1: welcome to the Eater Upsell, a part of the Vox Media podcast network. I am Daniel Janine. I'm an associate producer here. I'm joined by our editor in chief and my co-host Amanda Clute. Hi, Dan. We have a little announcement to make. We are kind of doing a little switch up on the We're format changing of up the show. show. We are still going to do some interviews, but we are focusing the show more on content that we have on the site and little newsy pieces, and we are going to be more reactionary and a lot quicker.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think we at Eater have the biggest group of food experts out there. We have 50 full-timers around the country. We have over 20 part-timers. We have correspondents around the world. I want us to be talking to the people we have on the ground to find out what's going on in these really important food cities um, from the journalists who are writing about
1: Actual stories. We've got a lot of people who are out there digging up and putting together amazing content. So uh, why not just hop on their backs and uh, yeah, and
0: squeeze them for all they're worth? Yeah, right. Right. Because they
1: were getting they were getting off easy.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just make, writing. Make everybody work a little bit harder yeah. for more content. <laughs> and we're gonna start today. By talking about something that is really near and dear to my heart, uh, one of my pet causes, which is female representation in food media and in the event space. I gave a little presentation about this topic at the Cherry Bomb Jubilee last week. Carrie Diamond, who runs that publication and that, fest- that festival, that conference, asked me to give a little update um, because we wrote about this four years ago. When Time published an issue called "The Gods of Food,"
1: what was the gods of food?
0: So, the gods of food uh, was a special issue of Time magazine where they listed all these gods of food. There were thirteen gods, and they had four um, family trees, which with a icon at the head of each tree, and a bunch of articles about influential food world people. And there were no female chefs. In any of it. There Anywhere was a, on the trees? No, nowhere on the trees, even though there were women who worked for these men. Uh, no female chef gods. There was like a, a coffee farmer and, and an activist, um, but no female chefs. There were two pastry chefs in a sidebar, uh, but that was pretty much it. And um, when this came out, everyone was outraged, and our own Hillary Dixler interviewed the section editor about it, uh, and he gave some pretty ignorant responses especially when she was kind of pushing him on and saying, what about what about Dominique Crenn? Her food is just as avant-garde as some of these right. guys, so it can't be about the types of food they're making. What about Suzanne Goyne, who worked for one of the chefs at the head of one of the trees? What about Barbara Lynch, who has had just as many restaurants as David Chang at the time? And his answers were were a little disappointing. Then he said, we did not want to fill a quota of a woman chef just because she's a woman. We wanted to go with reputation and influence. And so the fact that he didn't think of these women as influential is problematic, not just because he's ignorant, but because something wrong was happening for these women to not get in front of him. The fact that he couldn't even think of them and the writers of the package and the editors of the package didn't have any red flags like that's a problem. So when Hillary ran that piece back in 2013, Carrie Diamond, who was running Cherry Bomb at the time, was so inspired by it that she launched this conference. She was planning this conference
1: it, was a direct response.
0: Because yeah, because of Hillary's interview with this guy after The Gods of Food. Yeah. So she wanted to do a female focused conference. It was like in the back of her mind. And then when this happened, it kind of fast tracked things where she and her business partner, Claudia, were like, Okay, we're gonna do this now. And I think they put it on like within the next five months after that ran.
1: So <laughs> what was the what was the reaction online besides People were from, pissed. Yeah.
0: People were pissed. And then there was a lot of finger pointing and head scratching and A lot of essays written about who is to blame for it. And, you know, they people blamed all kinds of things. And I think it's really a a combination of factors. So one of the big things people blame was that women just don't cook the same kind of food that men cook. That men cook this really ambitious avant-garde food. And women love to just, like, roast chickens and have this homey food that doesn't get the recognition. I don't think that's true. Like, if you look at Dominique Crenn, I think, is a Mm great counterexample or – a lot of the chefs in Europe who are doing super avant-garde food, like that is just not the case. So I think even if that is the case, then it's a problem in terms of what how we're thinking about the food that we recognize as interesting or good or worthy of attention. Accolade-worthy food. Yeah, like, yeah. okay, is accolade-worthy food only the kind of food that is $400 for tasting menu? Is it only Michelin bait? Or can it be something that's really creative but accessible? Is, it, is there another definition of what – Merits getting on lists or special guides or the cover of magazines, um, so I think that's a challenge that mm-hmm. people have to think about in terms of who's getting on these these big national lists.
1: So who who is to who's to blame for this uh, limited scope?
0: Oh, I mean, it's all of us. I mean, I think there's there's what I pointed out in the talk was that I think there's three three major buckets of culprits. So first of all, the industry is to blame because women aren't getting the same opportunities as men. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a – it can be a really tough industry for women. I know when this first came out, there were some female chefs writing in saying, it's not, it's not hard for me. I've had it very easy. It's all about the media. But I think it is really hard. There is a lot of um, sexual harassment in restaurants. There's a lot of biases against women. People often don't want to hire women um, because they don't want them to quit when they get pregnant. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you do want to have a family as a female chef, it's really hard because there is – probably not going to be parental leave in your restaurant. It's hard to be pregnant on the line. And then it's hard to find the flexible hours you might need if you want to raise a family. So it's just like a lot of women that I know, once they get to the age where they want to have kids, they say, like, this industry isn't really for me. Uh, I don't see a future for myself here. I'm going to go into some other sector, whether it's still cooking, but at a grocery store or at a startup. Like, maybe I'm going to work in the Google cafeteria as a private chef. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of women have moved into the private chef space into catering um into do, I don't know bakeries because there's it's it can work better for their lives. Uh and I think also an issue in the industry which is the same as any industry is that there is male networks. So mm-hmm. If you want to get a mentor, if you want to get a job, it's all through references uh, and also investors. Investors can be wildly sexist and they feed into this idea that, oh, women aren't going to get the same attention. They're not going to get the same business. So I'm not really going to take that risk. The restaurant business is risky enough anyway. Why would I you know, put it
1: towards women? So that's the industry.
0: That's the industry. That's a big leading factor. And then you do have the media where, like I said, it's like some people don't think women are cooking interesting enough food. Some people don't have a broad enough definition of what is interesting in the first place. Uh, I think men often have more PR. They have more resources. They're able to get into inboxes. One of the big things that we talk about at Eater is mm-hmm. don't call the easiest person to call. Um, call the right person or try to get the new voice because- your inbox is so filled with PR people and so inundated with people who are trying to get their message out there that you might not be getting to the more interesting quote. Mm-hmm. You know, like I remember trying to get Gabrielle Hamilton on the phone for a quote once and it's, it's hard. It's harder because she has this assistant I had to find track down and get the name of and then call. And then maybe you have to go to the restaurant and like it's a pain in the ass if you are on a tight deadline and you need to have a story up. Whereas like, You know, Tom Calicchio's PR person is right there. Like, I could text her. I could get him on the phone. So it's like that kind of thing. The third bucket, which is a big focus of the talk I gave, was about events and conferences. And Mm -hmm. that's why Carrie wanted to start this conference, because she thought a lot of women weren't at conferences because they didn't want to go. And then when she started asking around, she learned that they weren't getting the invites. Like, Gabrielle Hamilton wasn't getting tons of invites to conferences.
1: What are food events or food conferences oh
0: yeah sure i think there's there's a wide variety of them so you have these like really big consumer facing mainstream ones like the south beach food and wine festival that's been going on for almost a decade uh where you had we were counting the data on this and there's like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of chefs like five days of events Um, big, big tent events where you have all these different burgers you get to eat. And then there's like a main stage and all that stuff. And then there's a whole spectrum. And on the other end of it is something like a mad food symposium or a cook it raw, Mm -hmm. where it's more of a sharing of ideas and something that's a little more intellectual and it's more industry focused. So you you buy a ticket, but it's more, you know, a little elite.
1: So the spectrum is kind of... Conferences or events that are a business and meant to sell tickets and draw people in with Mm -hmm. fancy famous chefs and an opportunity to try a whole bunch of food. And then on the other side is chefs who want to bring people around – or chefs and food people who want to have people around and share ideas. Yeah,
0: they want to drive the conversation forward. Um, Journalists go to all of them. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important no matter what side of the spectrum you're on. Um, But I think there's an issue with both sides – of not including right. enough women in the conversations and in that those opportunities to get publicity.
1: You actually went and, and gathered some stats on the women, on the percentage of women who were represented at these different mm-hmm. um, festivals and conferences, and what what did you find?
0: So uh, we compiled a lot of this data back in two thousand thirteen, and then we did it again now. And it's not a lot different. (laughs) I I think Carrie was asking me to do this because I think she thought I could say like, look how far we've come. Um, And or maybe she wasn't even that optimistic. But uh, it was kind of sad. Like South Beach Food and Wine, I think it went from 15 percent female representation to 15.9 percent. New York. Is that
1: even one person?
0: (laughs) Well, there's over 400 chefs, yeah. I think. So like that, something, but no, yeah, it's not. Not, it's yeah. Not. <laughs> uh, New York food and wine uh, went from 19% to 25-ish percent. So I think that's something. L.A. food and wine, 17% uh, down to 15%. So not great. The food and wine classic and Aspen, chefs uh, number rose pretty dramatically, which is, which is great for them. They went from seven percent to over twenty five percent, and that's just counting the chefs. Like in, the, in that event, they have a lot of talent too, and a lot of mm-hmm. sommeliers, which I think would even make it look more even. Yeah, because there's a lot of a lot of female talent included there, so that's something.
1: And awards.
0: Yeah, and then we also I also looked at awards with with the help. Also, I wanted to say of Vince on our team, Vince Dixon. Vince Dixon. Help me. Count up all these things. Uh, James Beard Awards uh, was 21% for chef finalists. I didn't include winners because I thought finalists is a little more telling. Uh, And it's gone to 33% finalists that are women. So I think that's really good. And I think they have been trying to be conscious about who's getting on those lists.
1: Are you uh, are you behind the scenes? I mean, obviously we have our own awards here. Yeah. But are you behind the scenes at any of these award shows or conferences and do you for, see any of do you see the efforts going on?
0: I mean, I hear to, about it a little mm-hmm. bit for James Beard, I will like send them in my recommendations. So they'll be like, okay, who do you think, who have you been hearing about? And you send them. So they, they call in all of these recommendations from around your city. Like I vote for New York and then they'll put together based on that and a bunch of public nominations, uh, a semi-finalist list for everyone to vote on. So they do have a lot of control. And if you are submitting the names, you can just like only give them women or people of color. And then they put together this list based on what they think, and I think they are trying harder to make it more inclusive, and then you vote. And I've done years where I will only – I will not vote for a male white chef, mm-hmm. which can be – I I don't necessarily want to admit that, but it's true. Uh, and I think those are I tactics – I think there's probably another –
1: there's enough other people. Yeah, they're fine. Yeah. They're doing fine. Right. So
0: I think those are some tactics you have to take to kind of tip the scales a little bit.
1: So for our – for the general ear awards –
0: for the Eater Awards, we, when we put all of our nominations together and then we take a look. And then we say, like, are there enough women? Are there enough people of color? Like, what do we have to do? Do we have to go back to the drawing board with some of these awards? What do we have to do to make it a little more even? But even when we do that, it's still not going to be good. Like, we're still going to have a pie chart like some of these other ones where it's like 33% or 27% because of, I guess, who's out there. Right now, so a lot of it is pushing harder to include more people and mm-hmm. making sure that the people making the lists on our team are aware so like we have um, a spreadsheet for all of our restaurant critics where they can see of the restaurants you re- reviewed this year how many are owned or chefed by women of color or women how many are Owned mm. or chef by a person of color, so they can see their ratios. Because then, when they go into their next review, they're always thinking about it. Like, okay, am I broadening what I'm what I'm doing? Um, and it's not just because this is like the right thing to do. It's just gonna make for more interesting storytelling if you're not just going to the same places that everyone else is going to and telling the same stories.
1: As, as someone who runs an award show, when you hear a quote like, "We did not want to fill a quota of a woman chef. We wanted to go with the reputation and influence," how, like, how do you?
0: Well, I think first he's wrong because yeah. he's not understanding the reputation and influence of all these mm-hmm. women. Um, I am of the mind that you do set quotas because I think that's how we have to get where we need to be. So if you have a list and there is no women, like the world's 50 best list, for example, there are no women on that list that aren't sharing it with their either their father or their husband or their boss. And I think if you keep getting those results year after year, it's not society's fault. It's your fault because you set up – a program that is biased and wrong. And so at World's 50 Best, they'll say like, well, this is just what our voters voted for. It's like, well, you need to talk to your voters. You need to tell them to go to different restaurants. You need to tell them to try again because they're not doing a good job. Like they're not helping the industry. They're not – and the the awards, it's just like people patting themselves on the back. Why not try harder? Try to diversify. Go to more places.
1: So is that what you do? If you take over the, you took over the fifty best tomorrow. <laughs> I would shut it down. Don't leave me. But if you took over the fifty best, you'd just uh, shut it down. Yes. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right, easy. Come back Peter. Yeah, uh, that's what no, you do. I would. That's your I Wednesday. would absolutely
0: set new rules for all of mm-hmm. all of the judges. I would also not let people accept free meals, but I have I have all kinds of issues with them, so I don't know.
1: Okay, well, it'd be, it'd be it'd be a another... weird job offer
0: for me. <laughs> <laughs> you
1: got to mix it up sometimes. You can't take the yeah, obvious choice. Yeah,
0: that's true. Sometimes you got to surprise people.
1: So we're gonna take a quick break from this conversation to talk about today's sponsor. It is ZipRecruiter. Not only does Vox Media have internal recruiting, uh, an does. internal recruiting team, mm-hmm. but you also use outside recruiters. Yep. Sometimes uh, we use a consultant. When you see that ZipRecruiter is able to offer a, a, the ZipRecruiter dashboard that lets you manage all of your hiring process from start to finish in one place. That must seem like something that would be nice.
0: It would be nice. It would be really nice.
1: Yeah, with ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click.
0: That's really good because some job boards are very expensive. So this would probably save you money too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I posted some job boards and it's like $200 a pop. It's ridiculous.
1: With all these great features, it's no wonder that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by growing businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, our listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free.
0: That's right, for free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash
1: eat. One more time to get it for free to go to ZipRecruiter.com slash eat. Slash E-A-T, eat. Okay, um, let's get back into this. Great. Not to be optimistic, but is there anything that we can do? Is there anything that listeners can do to to improve the situation.
0: Yeah, and, I, and one thing I pointed out at the at my talk that was a little optimistic is the data is maybe not super rosy, but we do live in a world where it's not okay to do a lot of these things. Like, you will get called out, especially on Twitter, now mm-hmm. that people feel okay, I don't know, just shitting on people on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> you, If this were to happen, you will get in trouble for it. Like, World's 50 Best gets a lot of flack on the internet for what they do. And um, if you were to staff uh, or organize an event without a woman on your panel like you would you would give some mm-hmm. shit for
1: it so let's continue to continue to give people shit
0: yeah give people shit like yeah. if you are on a panel or you go to a panel and there's no woman on the panel like give the organizer shit yeah um I think the idea of female only awards or lists are just bad I think a lot of I've yeah. heard about this happening other magazines where there's you know this white bro team and they're like oh should we do like a woman's issue <laughs> like absolutely not you should not do a woman's issue yeah uh Don't do an issue like a black people's issue, an immigrant issue. No, just include these people in your everyday coverage. Include them in every single thing that you do, every single story. Think about like, okay, who are we talking to and why? Because having this like – just a little segregated list, like this is where the women are great. Like that's not helping anybody.
1: Yeah, it's so patronizing to to be like we're gonna keep our magazine totally white, but we'll throw <laughs> yeah. you a, here. But <laughs> at the one special issue. thing we did.
0: Yeah. yeah it's so pink. I think it's 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 wildly offensive.
1: <laughs> so what was the reaction like from your talk at the conference? It was good. Yeah. It was
0: good. I think people people were were into it and dismayed, but hopefully galvanized. Um, There was one, like, iconic female chef who came up after me to say that another thing that we didn't really discuss is just that women don't love talking about themselves. They don't always love the spotlight. And that's a huge generalization, but I've seen it to be true. And she said she would always shy away from that, but then learned that um, she had to do it. If she wanted to be a mentor for people, if she wanted to set a good example, she – had to force herself to do this thing that was uncomfortable for her to help the industry and i think that's absolutely 100% right
1: it's kind of like impl or implementing quotas it's not the most comfortable thing at the yeah. time but it's kind of what you have to do you don't forward. want
0: you don't want to do it like yeah. it'd be great if all the great female chefs could just do whatever they wanted and not have to be pushy and try to get into things and try to get on tv and on panels and on lists uh, but they have to
1: and how about just for for diners? Can we go out and go to female-owned restaurants, or is there something? Yeah,
0: th- I mean, I think that's something to think about too. Is um, patronizing a broader array of restaurants? Like, if you hear about a great female chef, go to her place. If you hear about a a woman-owned restaurant, like go check it out, go support. And and same thing with with people of color and immigrant owned restaurants like mm-hmm. go help them out because yeah, be con- they it, be conscious of where you're be conscious of where you're
1: eating it's, it's a little harder one thing and I, I've always actually wanted to ask you about this I kind of I always get irked when female chefs are always called badass because I don't think guys are ever <laughs> badass and I always no. feel like that's like the pink issue of, right. of an all-white magazine like oh yeah she's a badass but to me that always reads like she's Kind of like tough and
0: yeah, because with the men, it's like implied yeah. that they're badasses. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, you're
1: like a dude.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, there was a when Michael Bauer was interviewed about Dominique Crenn. He mm-hmm. had his famous quote where he said, "She cooks like a man. She cooks like how the men cook." And like that's so <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> it's
1: so fucked up. <laughs> yeah. hmm. Okay. Well, thanks for listening. Stay tuned to uh, for what we have.
0: Yeah. Next week we will talk to someone who isn't me.
1: Yeah. Uh, about me.
0: another fun eater topic. Um, fun
1: (laughs) if you like like this episode if you
0: had a bucket of fun if you had a
1: a hoot listening to this uh, do us a favor and uh, next time you're at a party or you're anywhere near an auxiliary cord just put it on (laughs) the theme music will get people bumping to
0: rant about feminism in the restaurant industry let's do it
1: (laughs) (laughs) or maybe just play it at your restaurant You know, everyone's, everyone's all worried about their Spotify playlists and everything. They yeah, call no, in those curations.
0: play a podcast. Okay.
1: No, but seriously, uh, if you'd like this, pass it on to a friend or a buddy or a, or a dude.
0: Mm-hmm. Send it to your dude friends. Send
1: it to some dude friends. All dudes welcome. Yeah, and hit us with a rating and a subscription. A subscription. Whatever. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Cool.